welcome. Um, open, if you have your Bibles with you, you can open to Revelation chapter 7. It'll be our main uh, text today. That was that first reading um, that we had. Um, apologies for the, the sound uh, during the readings. Um, could be a number of things, but we'll work on that and make sure that it's clear. <clears throat> but that, that Revelation 7 reading gives us a picture of the saints uh, enrolled in heaven, the saints, and it's at a future time who are before the throne of God, who are worshiping, and they're in these white robes. And um, as I was thinking about uh, preparing today, uh, this, this idea of, of being a saint or being holy, what does that entail? An image came to mind, and I've got to tell you this story because it was uh, from this last year, uh, probably the most impactful, like, practical thing that happened to me. Uh, it was a catastrophe, actually that happened to me this year. Uh, so when I moved into my house, I knew they, they revealed like there's a, there's a little bit of a water drainage problem on this side of the house. Water tends to gather, they said. Um, they, they, they downplayed how significant that can be. Um, so I, you know, I also found out that the gutters, I don't know, hadn't been cleaned out since it was built in 78. So I got up there and, and I cleaned out and there's a whole layer of sediment uh, in, the, in the gutters. And these are big four inch gutters, like great, it's a brand new roof. Like clearly there's a lot of stuff washing off. I'm getting leaves out of there. I clean out everything. Um, I think I'm good, right? Well, we have in, in March, we had one of those Texas rainstorms that it, it deposits enough water to make up for the two months it didn't rain, you know what I'm saying? So we had one of those rainstorms, and um, the water starts rising up by my house. And this is a part where the house is kind of sunk a little bit. You know how foundations are here. And it starts rising up. In the middle of the storm, I go out with my aluminum ladder in the middle of the lightning and my rain jacket, which did nothing. It got soaked. And I'm, I'm out there. I'm pulling stuff out. I'm digging away from the house. I'm trying to keep water away. Didn't matter. Water came up and... Uh, Water came into the house over the foundation, flooded my living room, my kitchen, my office area. Um, had to tear everything out. Thank you to a lot of you, actually, who helped me in this time. Um, I had, we had to tear those floors out, and we spent, um, we spent the next six to eight weeks, uh, numerous hours, thousands of dollars, you know how this goes, uh, digging a whole new trench. The drainage was an issue, so we had to completely renovate this thing. Like, we had a water problem. We had to completely renovate this thing before we put new floors in. Then we put the new floors in. I even had to get help from a, a crew. I couldn't do it all myself. Had to get a professional crew to help take it to final 10%. And we got it in. And I was pumped, right? And it rained, you know, maybe a week later. And it was good. It was great. So I thought we were good. thought we were good. Um, three months later, or so, late summer, um, we had another one of those storms. After our big, remember our big drought, we had like eight or nine weeks, just no water. I mean, it was, it was a struggle. And then we had that, we had that big storm. And um, water was backing up out of the drain again. And uh, out of, the, out of the, the, the tubes where the downspouts come in. So water's coming off my roof. All this water, it's, it's starting to rise up. I'm like, oh my gosh, you gotta be kidding me. So I, I go out there and I get up on my aluminum ladder again while God visits us. And I'm, I'm taking stuff out of the, uh, I was like, I can't believe this. There's more stuff in the gutters. I get up there, and apparently it wasn't as much, but it was just enough um, uh, pine needles to create like a beaver dam right over the downspouts. I'm, I'm gobs of stuff. I'm taking it out. I'm taking it out. And finally, it's not water falling onto the foundation. I'm, okay, surely that'll fix it. It's still rising. What the heck? So I'm, I'm digging away from the house because I don't want it. I'm, I'm starting to panic. I feel it right now. I'm starting to panic because all these thousands of dollars and hours and hours of work it's going to be wasted, isn't it? Then I've had an idea. I was like, wait, 
I don't see water coming out down at the, at, the, at the exit at the speed it should be coming. Something's in the pipe, in the ground. Well, I've got these catch basins, thankfully. So I took a catch basin uh, lid off. If this wasn't here, I don't know what I would have done. I reach up in there, and there was a clump of pine needles, again, about this big, stopping up all those 25 feet of piping and water. I pulled that plug. It was like a bathtub. And there goes all this water, just all the way out into the street. It comes down. We're safe. Are you kidding me? Soaking wet. Could have got struck by lightning. So as we observe um, all saints, and as we talk about being holy, and as we talk about righteousness, and this image of, and we're, talk, we're going to talk today about this image of having a white robe, what struck, stuck out to me is that we all, just like at that in March, just like that major renovation, we all need this major renovation of the heart. Like we all come into this world needing a massive overhaul of our drainage system, so to speak. We need our sin completely cleaned out. We need a whole new heart given by Christ. But we tend to grow complacent and think everything is just fine. But what we actually need on top of that total re- renovation is an ongoing effort of cleansing to keep it cleared out. We need an ongoing effort. And so what we're going to see today, just like I had that initial overhaul and I needed to continually clean out things so that there wasn't a new uh, clog in the whole system, uh, we are going to see today that not only, sorry, in Revelation 7, Christ makes our robes white. He purifies us by his blood and gives us that total renovation. But also then says to walk in white in an ongoing, vigilant manner. So we're going to see today that Christ purifies us and gives us that renovation, and then he actually continues to work in us in an ongoing fashion to keep us in communion with him. That's what we're going to look at today. So go ahead and look at Revelation chapter 7, um, and and we're starting in verse 9, what we just read today. So John is given this vision of of heaven, and um, he just saw the 144,000 sealed, uh, and he comes here and he says he sees this great crowd that are clothed in white robes. This crowd is together with the elders uh, and the angelic hosts. And they are clothed in white. They are robed in white. Um, the first image, I, this is, there's so much in this passage we could talk about, but I want to talk a little bit about, a lot about these white robes, the image of a white robe and what's going on here. The image of the white robe uh, is first and primarily about the concept of purity. They have been made pure. So in this case, sin is the great impurity. It's the pine needles of your life, so to speak. Um, no, no offense against pine trees. I like pine trees, but we're just going to talk about pine needles as this great sin and impurity that taint and corrupt our own nature. This is what sin is. So if you and I uh, had a robe that, that represented our moral life, we would be born with a robe that's not white. It would, be, it would be dirty, filthy rags. It would be tainted. It would be polluted. We have polluted. The word is corruption that you see in Scripture. We don't come into this world Contrary to what a lot of um, secular and humanist philosophy over the last 300 years has taught, we don't come into this world with a white robe that then gets screwed up, or this is called the heresy of Pelagianism. Uh, we don't come in pure. I've, I've had friends and family actually say that, oh, we, always, we just screw kids up. They come in so perfect and pure and we screw them up. No, it's not the case. There are things that we can learn through our families and through other people. That is true. But the spiritual corruption that we're talking about is innate not innate, it is inherited. We are actually innately good by God's creation, but we have been corrupted. 
So um, we need purification. It doesn't let you be, it's not that you just become corrupt, it's that we, we, we begin corrupt. Now, this isn't something that we're just a uh, victim of. We add to it willfully, don't we? We choose to disobey God. We choose to violate his commandments and to offend his honor uh, with our words, with our deeds of impurity. So you and I, we cannot cleanse ourselves. We can't, we're the dirt. It's like taking, I don't know if you've ever had a dirty rag and you try to clean something that's dirty. You just smear, like my daughter takes it sometimes and we're working outside and she'll take it and try to clean something. Just smears mud on it. You know, this is what we're doing. We're trying to clean ourselves off, but, but there's mud on my hands and I, I'm trying to clean myself up and I can't. I can't purify myself. I can't, I can't cleanse myself. Now we can, and this is where I want to make a distinction, we can through therapy, through um, different secular tactics, there are ways that we can get over the natural feelings of shame and guilt that come in life. You may find people who are not believers who aren't walking in a tre- tremendous amount of shame, who are walking really good lives. Right? What do, what do we do with that? What we're speaking of here is a spiritual condition before a God who is spirit. We're not talking just about the relational realities around us, that it involves that. But we're talking about before God, we disobey God and we bring about corruption and impurity. And that spiritual impurity in standing before God is something that no therapy, there's not enough cold-pressed juice in the world to cleanse this from you. There's, there's not enough B vitamins and kale to eat. Like there's, there's no way that we can just, through our own ingenuity and effort, cleanse this spiritual impurity. And so we come before God unable to commune with him. David, the king of Israel, when he uh, steals another man's wife, sends that man off to be murdered, and then um, sleeps with the woman, you would think that the impurity is against the woman and against the man that he murdered, and that Uriah's blood would cry out, et cetera, et cetera. And it is, it is. But in Psalm 51, the word of God, um, David writes that he wants, he's asking God, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Erase them from my record, please. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. He's, he's, he's disgusting, he feels, on the inside. Cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, God, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. The ultimate offense, though the offense is there against those people, the ultimate offense there is against the holy God, the creator of all things. So there is this need that we have to come before God, cleansed of all our sin and unrighteousness, and we rehearse this heavenly reality every Sunday when we come together, don't we? We begin our service by by praying this collect for purity. We're saying, uh, cleanse our hearts by the Holy Spirit, work supernaturally in us to give us this spiritual state of cleanness before you. Then we're reminded, after that, that we have to love God with all our heart and mind, soul, and strength, and we have to love neighbors as ourselves. Why? Why? In Mark 12, 33, after Jesus answers a question about the greatest commandments, there's this guy who asked him the question, and he says, "Um, you're right, teacher. Jesus answered correctly, which is a funny thing for a guy to say to the God of the universe, right? Um, He says, to love God with everything and to love our neighbor is much more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And Jesus, knowing that he answered well like this, said, you're not far from the kingdom. We come to love God, to love others with a pure heart because what we're about to do for the rest of this worship service, whatever we're gonna do out there to try and clean ourselves up, that stuff 
is lacking of its substance and of its power if we don't come with an inward state cleansed by the grace of God. So it's not just church participation, it's not just uh, therapy, it's not just juice cleanse, it's not just all these other things that you can find that are going to solve for this impurity. There's actually a movement of grace that God has to give to cleanse us. How can we illustrate this? How can we see this spatially? We're such spatially uh, oriented people. We need the images. I think this is, and I know, uh, Paul, or, uh, Paul tells us in Galatians uh, 3 that um, this is a, a teacher for us, that we have something called the, the, the Old Testament, the law and the temple. And so I want to put up a diagram of the tabernacle um, that we have, uh, and it, this um, injury to our TV will not affect uh, what you need to see. Um, so you have this tabernacle complex, and when, when God, um, I'm going to back up, so we have the tabernacle, the, the holiest place is, of course, in the tabernacle where God dwells, Right? This is the center of all things. Uh, he sanctifies and sets himself apart as holy, as pure. His essence is pure light, and he is, he is unspoiled perfection. He dwells in unapproachable light. He, is, he alone is glorious and eternal. Um, he's morally perfect. He's altogether good. His design and his desire is to then dwell as that with his people. And so one of the many things that sin does when it introduces impurity into God's cosmos is it breaks and does violence to covenantal relationship. There's then a break and a violence in that relationship and severs us from, from the presence of God. And so God withdraws his presence. Think about Adam and Eve. They're in this garden paradise uh, you know, within the untamed wilds of the earth, and they're supposed to go forth and kind of Edenize the world together, right? And if they continued in obedience, there's this everlasting joy that's promised them. But then they sin. There's supposed to be this purity, and they sin, and they introduce impurity, and the special presence of God is withdrawn, and they're, they're removed from the garden. And so sanctuary with God is ruined at that point. And so God, fast forward many years, and um, we don't know how many years, and he's calling Israel out of the promised land. And he's saying, um, after Moses intervenes, he says, please come with us. God says, okay, I will, I will give you a system. Excuse me. I will give you a system within which I can dwell with you again. And this is the tabernacle. He's saying, I will put my presence among you. However, there are rules of engagement. This isn't willy-nilly. It's not like you walk into Walmart and you can grab whatever you want. You need a phone charger. You need some fruit. You need a notebook. No, this is like, we got to, there's a, there's a system of going in. There's a system. Why? Because God's holiness has to be acknowledged and respected. And our impurity in light of that has to be dealt with. So what does God do? You see here, um, this garden tabernacle, it's this tutor, this sign of these realities. So you have this partition. You've got, you would actually, this does actually I was wrong. On the far right, you get a squiggly red line. This is the gate into kind of the complex, right? So you have to enter in from this gate. And the first thing you run into is an altar, sacrifice, sacrifice. First thing you come into, you're confronted with the fact that, hey, something's required here. You can't just waltz in. Sacrifice is required. There's, there's, there's something that's needed to pay for what you've done. There's something that's needed here to cleanse you from what, you're, what, what you've done. Hebrews tells us that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins and that the wages of sin is death. So this animal has to die in my place so that I can go free, right? And the blood is then used as a purifying substance on all the instruments of the, of the tabernacle all the, and, and then on the person themselves, the priest. Walter Brueggemann explains it this way. He says with these sacrifices, what is unholy or unclean 
must be purged for the sake of recovered purity. In context, the sin offering or the guilt offering may be understood as acts of purgation or purification, whereby a restored relationship is possible and the presence of Yahweh, the holy God, can again be entertained. And so this sacrifice, this confession, this cleansing at the, the wash basin, the laver, uh, the wash basin, it, wash basin uh, th- this, this process gets you then ready and cleansed ritually to then actually be able to be in the presence of a holy God because otherwise you couldn't. You're separated from him, right? Now look back at our Revelation 7 passage in light of this truth. The angel says, they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. You come before God, all you have to bring is filthy rags. All you have to show is how you've blown it, how you haven't done enough, um, how you haven't been enough, how you haven't loved enough, how you haven't been lovely enough. Then he says, I'm making all things new. And he wipes away every stain. The blood of Christ is applied. And instead of when you have that rag that's filled with dirt and you're trying to wipe off, no, it's actually the blood paradoxically erases the stain. The blood of the lamb erases the impurity. The blood of the lamb removes the guilt. The blood of the lamb makes clean. And their robes, the image here is that the robes have been washed white in the blood of the lamb. And as a result of this, look what it says in verse 15. It says, therefore, therefore, because of this cleansing and washing that we see in verse 14, because of this, therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Do you know what doesn't happen in the throne room in the holy place? Sacrifice. In the tabernacle, there's no sacrifice in the holy place. Because once you're in, it's just you and God and a lot of chill time. The incense for prayers, the showbread, and beholding the glory and the beauty of God. There's no sacrifice in the temple or in the holy place. What we're saying is when Christ cleanses you and grants you access into the holy place, you're done. You're in. You're clean. You're unified with Christ forever. This is, the, this is one of the aspects of the good news of the gospel, that when you believe in Jesus Christ, he will wash away every sin and impurity and stain from you and I and grant us access into the throne room. Into the throne room. There's no sacrifice to be made anymore. And you know what's beautiful about that? When you're in the presence, when he shelters you with the presence, look at verse 16 and 17. They shall hunger no more. Neither thirst anymore. What does that mean? All your needs are, are fulfilled. Doesn't mean you become a robot. It means everything you would ever need or want is fulfilled in God and satisfied. They shall hunger no more, they thirst no more. Uh, the sun will not strike them nor any scorching heat. You're protected. Nothing can assail your soul. He's protected you. For, because the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. The lamb is the shepherd. The blood makes white. Do you see the paradox? 
and he will guide them to springs of living water. Springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eye. No more pain or suffering. This is the good news of being clothed in white. You, if you have believed in Jesus Christ, been baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. That means that your robe, metaphorically, has been washed white. And you now come before God in Christ purified. Many times we stop there. And the three months later, it rains. Now, the blood of Christ is sufficient and your, your union with Christ is not um, at jeopardy or at risk. But your communion, your intimacy, your awareness of, your, your closeness to Christ must be worked on, must be maintained. Look at Revelation chapter 3. If you just flip back a few pages in chapter 3, verse 1, he's, he's talking to the church at Sardis. Sardis is in modern-day Turkey, kind of close on the, the, east, the western side. Um, and he says, um, To the angel of the church in Sardis, write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. It's Jesus. Jesus says to this church, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive. So you've done all the right things. You're in the church. But you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. Prune the bush. Anyone here ever gardened anything? Sometimes if it's like almost all the way dead, you've got a little bit of life left, you just cut off what's dead and like, all right, we can work with this. Let's go. Miracle grow, water, right? Strengthen what remains. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received. Remember what you received, the garment in white, right? Remember what you were given at your baptism. What the Lord proclaimed to you, what was preached to you, remember. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, like that rainstorm came. <clears throat> and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis of people who have not soiled their garments. And they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So Jesus is telling this, this church, there are some of you who have heard the gospel, who maybe experienced a, re a revelation, a rejuvenation, a renovation of the heart. And a turning part point, either marked by baptism or maybe a return to God after a long time. And, and he's saying to them, you're living a double life and you're actually soiling the robe that I've given you, that I've purchased for you. And on the contrary, there's actually some of you that are walking in faithfulness and obedience and are walking in white and will walk in white. The difference between the two groups is the difference of constant vigilance in the faith. We have to give ourselves to a life of vigilance, turning from sin and then turning to God constant vigilance. This ongoing cleansing is needed for us to be able to see and experience God powerfully in our everyday life. Um, how would you do that, though? Like, what, is this, what does this look like? You're like, I'm here. What, I, like, what else do I do? Well, I, I had an, I heard an illustration of this uh, one time that I've actually experienced in real life in a really, um, <laughs> it's, it's comical now, but in a really powerful way. My, my little daughter, who is all 30 pounds, likes to hold the leash to walk the dog, who is 85 pounds. 
She's a relatively well-trained dog. In most situations, this would, would be a, 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 not a problem. Um, she's great with kids. So the main problem is that weight differential, right? And these are not equal powers. These are not equal powers when there's a, a difference of wills, right? And when my daughter has the leash, she has this illusion of control while she happens to be holding the piece of leather that happens to be attached to this 85-pound canine. I know this is the case because one time she was holding the leash and I pulled up in my car and uh, uh, the dog saw me and thought uh, that it would be fun to run after me. And um, my daughter uh, did her best impression of Michael Jordan. The dog took off and my daughter went flying. I believe I can fly. You know, she's like, I believe I can. She's just, she's like midair, she's horizontal and I can see it in slow motion. I'm thinking, dear Lord. And she hits the grass. She's fine. Just, just to let you guys know, she hits the grass. It was okay. But this is what happened. The dog took off, and she thought she was in control. And then all of a sudden, she wasn't. She was being pulled somewhere she didn't want to go. <laughs> and this is, we think we can just walk through life with our sin on a leash. We think we can just walk through and, oh, it's not that bad. I'll just, I'll just hide it over here. It only happens once a week, or it only happens every once in a while, or I've got it under control. No. You don't lie too much, maybe. Maybe you think you're in charge of your sin. The reality is one day your sin can and will take off and take you with it. That's what it does. We are not meant to live with sin on a leash. We are meant to kill our sin. One pastor compared it to lion tamers who try to put the lion on a leash. You try to tame the lion, and eventually we're like, oh my gosh, the lion ate the tamer. I don't understand. It's like, it's a lion. It's, tra it's tragic. I'm not downplaying like anyone's death here, but it, it is a risk of it because you can tame the lion all you want, but at the end of the day, it's a lion. You can, you can feel like you've got control with the leash, but at the end of the day, that thing can and will overtake you because there is not an equal balance of power. You cannot tame sin. You cannot tame wickedness. You have to kill it. This is why we die to sin and come alive in Christ. In this passage in Ephesians 4, uh, 17 to 24, he says, um, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice of every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned in Christ. White robe, be given a white robe. You've learned something in Christ assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, take off the dirty garment, put off the old self that belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and then to be renewed continually in the spirit of your minds to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. There's this ongoing act of renewal and putting on the new self this is baptismal imagery. You have to walk in your baptism, swim in the waters of your baptism in an ongoing manner, putting on white like we see in the heavenly vision of Revelation 7. And these commands are to commit to an ongoing renewal of the mind, an ongoing rejection of greed, sexual immorality, anger, lust, etc. And it's an ongoing commitment to the thoughts, words, and deeds that are um, in line with God's will. We commit ourselves to an ongoing pattern of worship and prayer that involves confession and repentance. We walk in white. So today, 
In conclusion, as we remember all the saints who have gone before us and we commit ourselves to Christ and to the lives of holiness, we see in Revelation 7 that Christ has granted us the cleansing that gives us access into the inner place to be with God, for worship and communion with God. This is the total renovation of the heart that restores us to right relationship with him. In addition to this, Jesus has warned and exhorted us in his word to walk in white, to walk out and to work out this salvation, to come continually with confession and repentance, to receive the cleansing and the renewal we need. It rained on Friday, didn't it? Pretty big storm at, at moments. It was kind of off and on, but there were moments where the water was coming down in such a way that um, it certainly would have overwhelmed and flooded my house at a prior time. But wouldn't you know that after my experience in the summer, two weeks ago, I did a status check. Cleared out some things. It wasn't a lot, but I was like, you know, I could just keep this on a leash. It's not that big a deal. It's a couple, couple pine needles. Or I could be vigilant, clear it out. And then when the rains came, I was good. No, it was like perfect suburban dad moment. I was watching the water coming out of the exit, and I was like, oh, yeah. Like that. <laughs> it's my drain. <laughs> then I got my power washer. <clears throat> you and I have been, that was a, never mind. You and I have been given access to the presence of God. And something, this is something that's more precious than anything else in the world. Let's be vigilant to receive the ongoing cleansing of Christ and to experience communion with the God who loved you and gave himself for you to the glory of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.